Hallelujah. Well, uh, today, as you can tell, we're going to do something a little bit different, all right? Are you, are you ready for something a little different? We never do anything the same here. And so uh, I want to just say I'm so glad to be back in the house. Uh, uh, you know, I spent a week in Mississippi, uh, which was really, really good. Uh, my, my youngest son asked me this question this week. He said, Dad, he looked at his phone. He said, Dad, what does extended service mean? And I said, it means your, your phone is trying real hard. It, real hard. And so I'm so grateful uh, to have been away. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Special thanks uh, to Jason and Nicole Howard who did our Thanksgiving outreach. There was 83 people here on Thanksgiving. Incredible with uh, people who serve and people who are serving. What a wonderful, wonderful day. Just want to say thank you. Uh, obviously, many of you are bringing in your gifts uh, for, uh, for our foster care community party that is coming up in a couple of weeks. Thank you for getting those in. And, uh, and, and so we've got something a little bit exciting today. And I want to I wanna invite uh, some of our staff up uh, today, uh, Pastor Todd Bemis and Pastor David Clayton and then Pastor Corey and Pastor McKenzie, if you would, guys would, why don't you come on out here. Uh, we're going to have an incredible day of giving thanks, but not like just in the way that you think. You see, over this last month, we've been talking about eye-opening moments. And didn't Pastor Dave do an incredible job last week about asking us, hey, you're anointed by God. You've been marked by God. Now what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that anointing? And uh, uh, before I left, I was in prayer, had an encounter with God uh, down here. And uh, I just, I, I really felt in my spirit that we wanted to share with the church why we minister the way we minister. Look at, look at your neighbor and just ask, look at him, look at him, look at him and say, why are you the way you are? <laughs> Come on, you've been wanting to ask him anyway. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, some of you are like, nope, I am not doing that. All the husbands are like, straight ahead, straight ahead, straight ahead. All right, nope. <laughs> That'll cost me an extra Christmas gift. Uh, uh, no, uh, I want you to understand uh, that, that what you, you see in our staff, and by the way, we have, uh, we'll have to do this another time because we have other staff members who've had these deep, eye-opening moments with Jesus. I, I just want to let you know, what you see is not a show. What you see is not because we went to uh, you know, a, a conference and got a good idea about how to do church. I'm talking about there are people among us who have had genuine encounters with God. And we're going to share those stories today. Why? Because for the most part, the church as a, uh, as a whole, we do a pretty good job of saying we're going to walk by faith. Faith is like, man, I'm confident in what God is going to do, right? Hope is that joyful expectation that good is coming. It's always in the future. But do you know we just celebrated Thanksgiving? And Thanksgiving is about taking time to look at what you possess. There was a moment when, when God said to Moses, in the low, low point of Moses' life, 40 years he's been in the desert, burning bush shows up, a suddenly moment shows up. And then what happens? He turns aside to see this strange encounter with God. And God asks him a profound question in that moment. He said, I'm calling you to go to Egypt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you in a mighty way. But then something profound happens. God says, Moses, what's in your hand? And all Moses could look down at was a shepherd's rod that he had fashioned. And then he said, throw it down, and he threw the rod down. And of course, you know the story, it turned to a snake, and Moses did what any normal person would do. He ran. And God said, take the snake up again. And he took it up again. And when he took it up, it became a rod again in his hand. And from that moment on, that was called the rod of God. Now listen. 
God wants to give you your own profound experience out of touching what's in your hand. He wants to give you your own profound assignment. Listen, not for the assignment's sake. Not for the sake of, of us becoming something to be seen and celebrated by men. No, not at all. He wants to mark our lives by his fingerprints. And so we wanted today to give thanks to Jesus for his work in our life and to just share with you why we are who we are. This is really who we are. By the way, this is not a show. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to ask Mackenzie to share her. There's a reason why she worships the way she worships. And some of you go, how does she worship that way? Well, you're about to hear. And, and same for, for others in this room. And here's what I know is going to happen today. You're not here to, to chronicle this message. You're here to experience it. Because as we share, I expect that the presence of God is going to heal the presence of God is going to break chains in your life. The presence of God is going to come and move in your life as you hear the testimonies of thankfulness for what God has done in our life. So I guess I'm, I'm just going to start with Mackenzie here. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, and uh, of course we can, I don't know, do we need introductions today? <laughs> By the way, this is my daughter in case you didn't know that. Uh, yeah. She has a different last name now. She's married to the guy in the cool jacket. Uh, and uh, that's what I asked for for Christmas. I want cool jackets. All right. And so uh, I, I, I just want us to share a little bit about our, our, our great eye-opening moments where God does something unique. Remember, I shared those messages and Corey shared those unique moments. Remember, Jesus spit on the mud. That's pretty unique. And when Jesus does something unique, it marks a life. Yeah. And so we, we, we really want to share that with you, not because uh, we're, we're not defending who we are. We're inviting you, I believe, into this same encounter. Acts 2 says this, on the, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind into the upper room, and this is what it says, where they were all sitting. And we're all sitting, except for Alex and Dave in the back. So <laughs> now we're all, we're all positioned for a fresh wind to blow. So I want you this morning to listen with a hungry heart for Jesus. And I believe God is going to work miracles. And by the way, if God starts moving, we're just going to stop. And we're going to press into whatever God is doing. And listen, I promise you, if he starts moving in first service and doesn't start, stop till 2 o'clock, we'll stay the whole time. <laughs> we got one person, one amen. One some of y'all are like, I didn't even eat breakfast. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, Mackenzie, why don't you just, just, just kind of... Uh, you know, just kind of begin to share a little bit of uh, your own journey and testimony. So, as he said, I'm Mackenzie, his oldest daughter, the oldest of five, and we moved here to Inverness when I was two, almost three, so I've been around here for a little while, um, but... Actually, yeah. September before I turned three, right? Right before you turned two. Okay, okay, sorry. I can't remember that far back. Anyways... Um, so, um, I was obviously raised in the church, um, taught the Bible, everything I ever knew was Jesus, <laughs> and this place, and these halls, and, um, I just, all my childhood, and my preteen years, I remember there was always prophetic words spoken over me that I was going to be a voice to the nations. I was going to be a songbird. I was going to be a worshiper. I was going to be a, a prophetic person that would release the Father's heart over his people. All of these things. And um, it was hard for me to believe at that point. Um, 
just because I had doubt in, my, in myself, right? But um, as I got into, so I was homeschooled until I was in fifth grade, and then I was hard transition from homeschool straight to Inverness Middle School, okay? Bless God. I needed the grace of God, okay? And he, he <laughs> provided that for me. But um, it was in my eighth grade year that the enemy began to fill my heart and mind with his lies and woo me into the ways of the world and to use hurt from my childhood and just twist that for evil. So beginning in eighth grade, I just began to turn my heart away from the Lord and live in a sinful lifestyle. I was living a double life. Here and at home, I was one person, the person that everyone wanted me to be. And then at school, I was just whoever I wanted to be. And I was just struggling with all kinds of sin. Anything you could think of, that's what I was struggling with. I was chronically depressed. I had such bad guilt and anxiety. I had panic attacks all the time because I was living in this internal war. I was a slave to sin, but I knew what was right. And I knew that Jesus was Lord. And so that was causing an internal battle in me where my flesh wanted the world. My flesh wanted to talk however I wanted, wanted to drink, wanted to smoke, wanted to be with whatever guy gave me attention. And that's what I chose to do until the Lord stepped in to my life. And I knew from when I was in sixth grade that the Lord had a plan for me to go to RSM in Hamilton, Alabama, to the Ramp School of Ministry. And I didn't know how that was going to happen or what was going to happen, but I knew I was supposed to go there. And throughout my rebellion and my brokenness, I kind of like let that dream go a little bit. Um, and I was just living as a slave to sin. I didn't know how I was going to get out. I didn't know how I was going to stop because I truly felt like I was bound to these things. I couldn't get out on my own. I couldn't do the right thing in my own strength. And I just said, well, God, I'll just get right with you when I move out of this place and get away from all these people, all of my friends that were bad influences on me, all these bad relationships. When I escape this town, uh, maybe when I go there, I'll be able to live right. And so that's what I had in my mind in my senior year when the Lord opened a door and paid for all my school. And I, I was like, well, he, he's sending me, <laughs> whether I want to go and, or not. And so... Um, I remember I had this thought in my mind, and this was the summer of 2017, right before I was about to go to RSM. I was in the deepest, darkest pit of sin and brokenness and pain and shame and guilt that I'd ever been in. And I went to Camp Impact as a leader that year, the first year ever. I've been going since I was a little tot, you know, but this is my first year as a leader. And I was leading worship. But on the inside, I was full of sin and brokenness. And I was, I remember that last day, that Thursday, we went to this place called the Blue Hole, where we did baptisms every year. And I was not planning on getting baptized at all. <laughs> that was not on the forefront of my mind. Um, and we were just baptizing all the kids that wanted to get baptized. And then my wonderful dad here, <laughs> He asked me, he's like, do you want to get baptized just to mark this new season of my life, this transition point in my life? And he didn't know the fullness of where I was at. And what's crazy is a pastor from the ramp, Pastor Jacob Peterson, and two others that were from there, Alex Nelson and John Andrews, were at camp, and they were recruiting for people to come to camp, and Pastor Jacob was speaking, and they were all there to lay hands on me and baptize me into this new season of going to RSM. And so I sat down on this rock, and I had no idea what it was about to happen. I'd been baptized before, you know. Like I said, I was raised in this church. I was baptized right here in front of everybody. Um, so I didn't know what was about to happen. But they just laid their hands on me and began to pray over me before they baptized me. And... The Father God is so sweet. He just knows how to speak our language. 
He knows how to get our attention. And through my father, he spoke. Kenzie, I feel like the Lord is saying, I'm about to give you a clean slate. And I felt like that was impossible for me. I felt like I was too far gone. I knew what was right and I chose wrong. So I was riddled with guilt and shame. And at that point, I did not believe that that was possible for me. And until I had a revelation of the power of the blood of Jesus, it wasn't by my strength or by my deeds, but it was by his redemption that I was able to have that clean slate. And that, that girl that they dunked under the water that day came out a new creation. Yes. <laughs> it was from that day that I was completely set free from sexual sin, from the ways of this world, being hungry for partying and attention from people and all the things that the world tells you you want. I was completely and radically set free by the power of the blood of Jesus that day in those waters. And I came up a new creation and I've never looked back. And that's my testimony that God can set you radically free yes. from sin and shame. Yes. And you can, you can turn and you can never look back. You can live a life set radically free from sin. You can live a life that's free from that guilt, those lies of the enemy. You can. And it's not by your strength. It's by his blood. That's what's so good about it. All you have to do is say yes. Give him your yes. And since that day, I've lived passionately for Jesus, passionately for holiness, passionately for worship. And I was, as I was preparing for this, this day, this song rung in my heart, of course. And it's, it's a song by C.C. Winans called Alabaster Box. And you may ask me why I worship the way I do. And this is my response. You were not there the night that Jesus saved me. You were not there the day that he wrapped his loving arms around me. And you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. That is why I worship the way I do. Because of the way he radically saved me. And he can do that for you, too. <laughs> wow. I feel like we should pray for people right now yeah. uh, <laughs> um, who are struggling with panic attacks. Yeah, yeah. And you're in that internal struggle today. I'm here to tell you, God's not judging you. He, he brought you here today in his goodness and mercy to set you free. Why don't you just lead us out in prayer over that? Why don't you just lift your hands if you're in need of, the, of just freedom that way? Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I pray for an overcoming spirit over your body this morning. I rebuke every bit of panic and anxiety and depression. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for the blood that is strong enough to save. It is strong enough to wipe every, every blemish clean. I thank you, Jesus. Your arm is strong to save. That no one is too far gone for your reach. No one is too far gone for your blood to cleanse. I just pray for a supernatural grace to receive your forgiveness. Receive your freedom. Yes. We just come against every lie of the enemy. Right now, that is tormenting hearts and minds. We rebuke panic and anxiety and depression. We say, go back to hell where you came. You do, not have, you do not have power here. We plead the blood of Jesus over every person in this room and every person watching. And we declare freedom in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. Thank you for your power. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amazing. Hallelujah. 
All right, Corey. Six minutes and 58 seconds. You can do this. Uh, hola, ¿cómo estás? Ah, good, muy, muy. Ah, yeah, sí. Um, sorry. Uh, but anyway, uh, my story um, uh, is actually, I'm going to try my best here. Um, of when God touched me. If you don't know my story, I think a lot of you do, but if not, um, uh, it's, it's, it's powerful. Uh, I was... Uh, Born into a family of about, I believe there were seven of us. I could be wrong, um, but I believe there were seven of us. Um, we were all separated uh, when we were little. Um, we were put into foster care. I was an infant at the time, um, but all seven of us were separated from each other. Not one of us stayed. Well, correcting myself, two of us got to stay together, Beanie and Jeremiah, but the rest of us were separated from each other. And um, I was an infant at the time. I was about two months old, two to three months old. And um, at this time, uh, there's a woman by the name of Glenna who was wanting to have a child in our family. And um, she could not uh, get pregnant. Uh, her and Mike could not have a kid of their own. And they adopted a kid by the name of Joshua. Uh, but he wasn't a baby. And my mom always wanted a little baby. She was dying to have an infant and to, to feel what it would feel like to, to have a child, a baby of her own like that. And she was praying God they did everything, and nothing would work. She could not get pregnant, and she said, well, God, just, you know, we're open to adoption. We're open to something like this, and uh, as soon as they kind of opened their heart in that area, uh, they received a phone call, and um, they said, hey, social services called. We have a child who is um, two to three months old. Would you love to be his, uh, his foster parents for a season? My mom started to freak out because she wanted a baby. She said, yes, yes, yes. We'll take them in. We'll take them in. And um, before this, before they brought me in, um, on December 14th, 1999, um, which is on her first birthday, my grandfather, who is kind of the, the, the leader of our family, he went to be with the Lord, but uh, he, our great-grandfather, his name was Glenn Sturgill, pastor of our church, he was the man of God, the man we, we want to be like, he was just amazing, and uh, loved the Lord. He said on December 14th that an angel walked into his room. The Spirit of the Lord came into his room and walked right up to him and said, I'm bringing you a child, a baby boy, and bringing your family. And he wrote it down on a little piece of paper. And it was on December 14th, 1999. That was Kenzie's first birthday. Come on, God's very, yeah. he's unique in this, man, in yeah. your story. And he really orders your steps. And then a couple days pass and they get a phone call about a baby. And well, our God's doing exactly what he told my grandfather he would do. Here comes a baby into our family. And um, I was brought into the family. At this time, my name was Meshach Gross. That was my name, um, Meshach Gross. And uh, my family fell in love with me, uh, so much so that my mom said, if anyone would ever come and try to take me, she would kill them. <laughs> and it would not just be a punch. It would be like straight up, you know, rated R. Come on. She said, I will take everybody out. And we will flee the country and live in exile and raise this child. And because she fell in love with me so, so much. And she said as soon as she laid eyes on me that, you know, I was her son. And, um, and my dad fell in love with me. My whole family fell in love with me. And, um, but in this process, they wanted to adopt. They were like, you know what? We want to be more than just his foster parents. We want to adopt this child uh, because my birth family, uh, my birth mom and all them were dead. Um, and uh, so I was in foster care. There's no going back to my family. So they knew that. So they wanted to adopt me. And um, uh, they, they contacted social services, got, got the talks, began to go underway. And all of a sudden, they could not find my birth certificate. My birth certificate was as if it was never even printed. And I was what they call a ghost. They had no documentation on me whatsoever. And um, it's, you, know, you could say, well, why couldn't they just type it up and print it out? It's harder than that. So it kind of paused the whole adoption process. And in the meantime, there was a guy who came in that said he was my dad. And um, without a birth certificate, now there's a dude saying he's my dad. And my mom's wanting to, to adopt me. And there's war breaking out. There's chaos because there's a dude claiming that I belong to him. And, you know, now we're in turmoil. And the family, my family is just brokenhearted because, you know, what they want to do is reunite families. So if this guy is my dad, they're going to want to put me back with him. And, and my mom knew that, so they began to panic. <laughs> and they began to break because they were like, this is our kid. Not, I don't care whatever he says. And um, the process went on. 
No birth certificate. So without a birth certificate, they couldn't prove that this guy was my father without doing some tests and all that. Um, and they did the test and all that. But before we give you the results of the test, it took a little bit, a long time to get all that stuff in, and there's still no birth certificate. And if we would just have a birth certificate show up before the test would come back, you know, maybe we would have breakthrough there too. So my family's praying, the church is praying, and there's no birth certificate. No one could find it. And there's a lady by the name of Brenda who is cleaning our church. And Brenda is just a great woman, and she's cleaned our houses my entire life. She's just amazing. And she was cleaning the church that day, and her husband called her. And her husband, he's, his name is Daryl, and he buys junk cars, and he fixes them up, and then he resells them at auctions. And that day he bought like five, six, seven, I don't know, a lot of cars that day and brought them home and was fixing them up. And as he said, he was detailing the car. He opened the glove box of one of them, and in the glove box fell out a document. And he picked up the document, and it was a birth certificate. And on the birth certificate was the name Meshach Gross. And this is in the middle of the whole family praying. And right where it says, you know, the mother and the father, where it said my father, the guy claiming to be my father was not my father on the birth certificate. So they didn't even have to run the test, even though they did, came back negative. He wasn't my dad. They didn't even have to run the test anymore because the birth certificate said he wasn't my father. So my adoption process got to go through. I was able to be adopted. I came into my family. They changed my name from Meshach to Corey. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> at times I'm like, I, I wish I still had that name. But my mom's like, no. That's your, your Saul, now you're Paul. And she's like, you know, she's just, I, she gets mad at me every time I say I like that name. And, uh, and fast forward 18 years, I grew up in the church. I love the Lord with everything in me. I gave my life to Jesus. I was burnt out, raised in church. I mean, I loved God. Senior year of high school, I fell into some sin, did stuff I never thought I would do, got in the wrong relationships. Come on, the wrong relationship will mess you up. Come on, yeah. all you guys can testify yeah. to that. The wrong person can get you to do things you never thought you would do. And I was in the wrong relationship, doing dumb stuff, and I was living a, a, a double life. And God got a hold of me at a revival service from my uncle and my aunt one night by a man named Tommy Bates, who's been here before. He called me out of a crowd of about 3,000 people. He said, there's something on your life. And he says, I see the anointing and the mantle of your grandfather. And he pulled me up. I'm in full-blown sin. He prays for me. I get radically delivered that night. And then I just, I, I just completely walk away from things. I applied to the Ramp School of Ministry. I was like, I'm going to follow the Lord, give the Lord my life. And they were coming to town um, about two hours from where I, or three hours from where I lived for a conference. And I was like, you know what? I want to ride up to this conference and just get to know some people um, before I move nine hours away from home. And I went up to this, this road conference from the school, and it was called Ramp Virginia. And they were coming in, kind of recruit more kids for the school, and it was a conference. Went up there, I was going to meet some people before I moved to Alabama. I started making some friends, hanging out. And I told the Lord, I said, if I'm supposed to go to this ministry school, give me a sign that I can't deny. Do something that I can't shake. Tell me this is where I'm supposed to go. I don't want a prophetic word like there's a thousand people in the room. I don't want somebody to just say you have back pain. Of course we have back pain. There's a thousand people in the room. I want a word that is unique, a word that is true, a word that only me and God know. And um, I went all the way to the last service of this conference. I'm like, God, I still haven't got this word. Just let me read something on the wall that only me and you know. Give me something that this is where I'm supposed to be the ramp school of ministries where I'm supposed to go, that this is what you want to do with my life. And as soon as I said that in the final service, a man jumped off the platform by the name of Alex Nelson, who was at the camp that Kenzie got baptized at. He, he didn't know me from Adam, ran right up to me in a crowd of about a thousand people, looked me in the eyes, and he said, Meshach, this is where you belong. Stay in the furnace. And he laid his hands on me. I fell out under the power of God. I didn't get up for about three more hours shaking, shouting, tongue-talking. I was a mess, man. I got up from the power of God, and no one would know. No one knew that my name was Meshach except me and my family. This guy had no clue. God gave me that word. The rest is history. I went to Bible college, met Mackenzie, fell in love, started traveling, preached. Now we're here. God's moving. God's good. And that's how God touched me. So Come yeah. on. I know. That's what I was listening to this morning. I was listening to Tasha Cobbs this morning. You know my name. Oh, if anybody needs something, needs to be blessed, you need to know. Well, first, read Isaiah 43. He knows your name, and he's called you by name. And then Tasha Cobbs singing that song, You Know My Name. Good. Uh, Come on. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> 
Corey was allowed to preach, he would tell you this. If you're in a fire today, there's a fourth man in the flames. If you don't know the story, you need to know. Those three Hebrew boys were not alone. There was a fourth man in the flames. And here's, here's what a sinner said, an idolater said. And the fourth man looks like the son of God. Somebody needs to know that today. Jesus is right there with you today. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Pastor Dave. Hallelujah. It's good. I didn't know we were starting from birth. So <laughs> there was this swimming race, and I won. And that's why I'm here today. Um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> For you older people, you'll get that. Yeah. So the younger ones that went over your head. It's okay. Um, um, no, my testimony is uh, my BC moment uh, before Christ. I got saved November 3rd, 1996. I was about a freshman in high school. And uh, before that, I was uh, an angry, uh, snot, uh, rebellious kid. Um, I... I was, but I grew up under the pew. I was, I, like, literally, Sunday nights was my nap under the pew. That's, that is how it worked in my family. It was a family where even if I was like, Mom, I don't feel good, she, you know, pew can prove it type of situation. If I did, oh, don't you feel better? Let's go to church. It was a, uh, we, we were always at church. Um, and so I, I grew up in church. And, uh. My dad was always on the worship team, playing guitar and things like that. So uh, we've always been heavily involved in church. Uh, but my, uh, my middle school years, uh, I never really gave my life to Christ uh, until my freshman year. Um, I was very rebellious. I was bullied most of my school career. I hated school. Um, I was good at school, but I didn't like going to school. I'd rather have done something different. Um, so, so I was full of anger, a lot of hatred, a lot of rebellious, but I knew right and wrong, uh, cause I could cuss all the way up to my front yard and shut it off like that. Cause mom would, mom would make me swallow some teeth if I was, uh, <laughs> saying those words around her. Um, so I knew how to turn it on, turn it off. Um, I, I knew all those things. I knew how to act, uh. But I was very rebellious, very angry. Um, and then God started taking me through a process, but my process ended November 3rd, 1996, when God really started moving in uh, our church. Um, I grew up in uh, Illinois, Rockford, Illinois, and I was on the south side of Rockford. That's where our church was. Uh, pastor Scott Myers was the pastor at the time. And uh, we were a church that had a basement. For you northern folks, you know what that is. For you Floridians, it's a place you store a lot of stuff. That's, it's a basement. <laughs> it's below your house. It, it's a hole in the ground. Not a hobbit hole, but something different. Um, but uh, we, uh, uh, and that's where Sunday school was for the youth group. And there was nine of us in there. There was uh, chairs set up. And we had one of those old, uh, for you young people, it was a TV that was giant, not flat screen, heavy. Uh, with a with a thing called a VHS player connected to it, um, uh, and uh, that was wheeled out. And my Sunday school teachers, who have both gone on to be with the Lord, uh, Sandy and Carl Ballman were there, and they just got back from Brownsville Revival. Uh, and what I'm going to describe to you. It is hard to understand. But she threw a VHS in that just had two testimonies of Amy Ward and Allison Ward and a song that was in between from Charity, uh, Come Running to the Mercy Seat. And the things we saw on the TV was pretty incredible. Their testimony is amazing. YouTube at Browns, Browns Revival, Amy Ward. You'll, you'll see their testimony. 
So we watched this, and there wasn't any hype. It wasn't like they had a keyboard in the back. There was nothing going on. It was silent. We're sitting in cold, hard steel chairs on tile, cold basement. She shut the video off and just raised her hand. And she said, God is here. And the power of God, like a tidal wave, went through that place. The first, the first row just fell out. It was like an explosion. They just fell out. In the second row, they started convulsing and crying and, and wailing. And they fell out onto the floor. And, and us three guys in the back, we held it together <laughs> as we wept uncontrollably. Um, and we just wept and wept. And it was years later, my friend, that was the first time he came to church with me. Because like I said, God started a process with me. And I was like, you should come to church with me. I don't know, don't know why, but come to church with me. And uh, years later, he told me, he goes, I was high that morning. I got high every morning. He goes, but when God hit me that day, I was no longer high. Wow. And we wept for hours and hours and hours. So much so, the pastor of the church was like, there's something going on. We're going to go downstairs. <laughs> and there was adults laying in the hallway, just laid out, and God was just moving. And it was like one or two in the afternoon when we finally said, okay, let's go eat something. And we came back that night, and God moved, and, and uh, it went on for six months to a year. Every time the youth would gather, God would move, and many times the adults would come downstairs and be laid out in the hallway, and, and we just saw radical things take place, and God moving, and so I was, I was, I was born out of fires of revival, of seeing God move in ways that I haven't really seen a whole lot of, and I went to Brownsville Revival School of Ministry, and I saw some things there, but... Those formative years and the hunger of God that he produced in me, I saw things and experienced things that I haven't experienced since. And I desperately desire it again. We need God to move in supernatural ways. Yes. Because November 3rd, 1996, not only changed my life, but it was just, it wasn't too long ago. My brother texted me on November 3rd and was like, happy birthday, bro. Because my brother was one of those guys that radically got changed. I went from rebellious, hateful, so I wasn't angry anymore. I wanted to do right. And even through high school, I was the type of kid that I cared about my grades, but on our report card, we also had like a character grade, like how they were in school, and I got more excited about that grade when I saw fives, because that was the best you could do. I was like, okay, I'm representing you well. People are seeing it. Wow. I went to school the next morning after that. <laughs> And I looked at my friends, and I was like, things are got to gotta change. And I thought I'd lose a lot of my friends, but at that time, I was made fun of most of my school life, so I was kind of a loner anyway, so I didn't really care. But I sat at that lunch table with the group of guys I sat with, and I said, I came to know Christ. And I can't be telling the dirty jokes and... I'd really appreciate if you didn't cuss around me. I'm changing some things. And if I have to sit by myself, I will. They all looked at me and said, oh, that's cool. And I got to minister to those guys. And instead of losing respect, I gained a lot of respect. Because I really believed it. They said, that's the one thing we see about you. You really believe this. Because I encountered it. You can't deny my experience. God is so good. Yeah. He is so good. Who wants to see God move like that again? Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Todd. Hallelujah. It, isn't this awesome? You know, what God's doing here, how this story is different than this story, and then this story, and this, and mine's totally different too. That's us, right? That's the body of Christ. We're not trying to be someone else. But every person here has a unique story that God's going to use, you know, for his glory. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful to be a part of this. Um, you know, as, as Pastor Dave said, without going too far back, uh, I was going to say the same thing, because at, at three months old is really the first time I grew a beard. <laughs> and uh, it was, people looked at me differently, you know, like, what's up with this guy? It's kind of weird, you know. But uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I have a, a, a rich rich heritage that I feel like I've been blessed with. Um, I am a pastor's kid, right? Any other pastors, PKs here, right, in in the house? You know, I I know there's some, you know, sitting out there. Um, At times, it can be difficult. Um, My dad, uh, an amazing story of adoption and grafted into the family, was a pastor's kid uh, as well. So I'm a third-generation pastor. And um, like I said, grew up in a place, uh, the Tabernacle, where my dad was an associate pastor there for 30 years. Um, Mentioned Jane, right? Grew up there (laughs) together. Um, And I don't even know how to say this without sounding like, this is not prideful at all, but we were blessed with so many incredible speakers and outpouring of the Lord at a young age um, for me. Uh, where Benny Hinn first started his ministry. I remember Oral Roberts, and he would minister there, and Richard Roberts would lead worship, and I got to be on the worship team leading with him, and Alvin Slaughter and Ron Cannoli, and um, all these people, you know, you'd look at back in the 80s and the 90s and almost like a who's who, and you sit there and you go, wow, I am so blessed to be able to just be a part of this and what God was doing. And um, it was always music was a big part of my life. Um, got to do musical theater for a while professionally. Got paid, you know, to do it. Um, a lot of music stuff. Opportunity to, um, was invited to New York City uh, to be part of musicals there. And just something in here was like, nope, you know, that, that's not it. Got invited to, to go to Nashville, uh, part of a singing group. And start there and, you know, sign with a company and tour and something in here was like, nope, nope, that, that's not it. That's not really the, the purpose of, of my life and who God called me to be. In the mid-90s, we went through uh, a season there at the Tabernacle, uh, which we called Renewal, and it was about three years of mm. an incredible outpouring of God's presence. It's the only way you can d- describe it. Uh, very similar to Brownsville. Um, the Arnots were there and were ministered to and took that to Toronto where, that, where the airport uh, blessing was. And um, I had the privilege as a high schooler, senior in high school, first year of college of leading worship in a time like that where really all you wanted to do was get out of the way and let the Lord just do whatever you know, he wanted to do. And, and it, was, it was awesome, you know. God did something, you know, incredible. For, for three years, we would, on Sunday nights, we would meet and, you know, start 6 o'clock, I think. It would start around that time, and then 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, it would end. But it was just a time of soaking. Um, the DNA where I grew up was, was, it was worship and hosting God's presence. It was called the tabernacle. We would host God's presence, and then we would be sent because missionaries was something all over the world to the community, to the local community, and all over the world. We were sent with purpose. So we would receive what God was doing, you know, and be sent out. And uh, many times I was on the platform ministering as people were uh, being ministered to, you know, and being laid out in the spirit. But Pastor 
asked about a time where God deeply touched me. And I kind of love how God orchestrates things. I wasn't on a platform. I wasn't in the front of a church. I was near the back door of the sanctuary when the power of God hit me. Because I asked God a simple question. I said, I want to know you more. This isn't enough. I want to know you. I want to know your heart. And I fell on the floor, and I curled up in a fetal position. And I don't think I've ever shared this publicly before. And I cried, and I cried. I wailed. It hurt. I don't really know what was happening. And I stopped, and I said, God... I can't handle this. Please take this away. And he did, and it lifted. I've experienced that one time in my life, but it shaped me because I asked him, I said, God, what was that? And he said, it's the way I feel for the people that I'm separated from. People that are lost, the people that are going to hell, the people that just live every day and don't have relationship with me. It's hard when you feel something like that just to be satisfied with menial things. But I, in my heart at that moment, I thought the other stuff, the musicals, the shows, the touring, the concerts, I've stood in front of tens of thousands of people and I'm like, mm, okay. But that separation from God came when sin entered the world. See, before that, God walked in the garden with Adam. There was communion. There was fellowship. There was relationship. People look at me, you know, why do you do what you do? <laughs> right? Why do you spend the time and the hours? Because I will do anything. Thing I have to do to position this place so that people become face to face with the Lord. They receive Him and they walk in fellowship with the Lord. Anything. Because that's God's heart. A few weeks ago, we were talking in our men's Bible study about John 15, right? The vine, right? And where the fruit. Come on, Dennis, right? We were there. And what that looks like, and in verse 16, John 15, 16, it says, whatever we want, whatever we ask, we get, right? So if I ask that question to you guys today, you know, anything at all, what kind of cars, what kind of houses will we ask for, what kind of uh, 401ks would we ask for, what type of reputation would we ask for? But you see, if you read before that, it talks about being connected to the vine, and when we're connected to the vine, not only do our priorities change, our desires change. Yes. When we walk in this and allow the Lord to feed us, all of a sudden our desires and our dreams and our want go from a car and a house to seeing people saved. Yes. Seeing people walk yes. and have relationship with the Lord. So my prayer today, as, as we've heard, as we were real with the Lord, and we come to him, and we let him do the change. And we're grafted into a family like we are here. And we allow the fire of God to hit us and consume us, not just for an experience, but for an expression of his love, for purpose to go and to share and to be equipped for what God is calling and asking us to do. That's our testimony. That's who we are. That is why we do the ministry the way we do in this house. Hallelujah. I just want to make uh, room for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I get to stand on a platform often and tell the story about how the lightning of God hit me in a Bob Evans restaurant. A lot of these guys had an encounter with God in a church. Mine was in a public place. And I, I just want to tell you today that whether it was in a church, a home, a school, whether you were in a field someplace, or maybe you were on a ship, 
as a, you know, in the Navy or you were in the service and you had an encounter with God. I believe what God wants to give to us this morning as we were testifying uh, is the gift of hunger. I feel like something is getting stirred in the hearts of people in this room. I wonder today if there isn't somebody under the sound of our voice who says, I want to know Jesus that way. Maybe you're here and and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. I want to tell you, he's more real than, than you could ever know. We're not preaching a religion, not a system of rules. There is a God-man who got up out of the grave, who is walking and moving this day. Our lives are living testaments to that touch and that change and that work. Today, you may say, I'm in need of Jesus in my life just to be forgiven, like Dave didn't know God, and the wave of God's presence came. Everything shifted. But I think there are many who, like me, who had grown up in church and gave my life to Christ or walked away. And actually, I was looking for a door out. I was looking for ways to compromise. I had openly accepted lukewarmness. I'm just going to tell you, most of the church in America today is lukewarm, and they love being lukewarm. And I'm going to tell you, Revelation 3 says lukewarm is not a good place to be. It's about, you're about, the, according to Revelation 3, you're about to be God vomit. You're lukewarm and he's about to spit you out of his mouth is what it says. Which is the very verse, what was quoted to me in that restaurant that night, the lightning of God hit me. And I want to tell you today, I believe there's an open door for a fresh encounter with God. 